and welcome to Shakespeare, the roundtable discussion podcast where we talk about Shakespeare. My name is Chase, your mostly quiet producer. Today, we talk about the themes and details of Twelfth Night. If you like what we're doing here, make sure to check us out at our network site, ghostlightmedia.net. A quick programming note, the issues with Beth's mic are still present from last week's episode. The audio was there, it's just not as crisp as we normally would like. And still, the show must go on, and on with the show. What were we talking about at the very beginning when Ryan was like, that would be really good content for a cold open? And then we started recording and didn't go back to that conversation. I don't know. That's pretty bad. That yeah, we were there was some good there was some good content there, and now none of us remember what it was we were talking about, and it was all before we started recording. Yeah, and now you'll never know. We tantalize. To be fair, neither will we. So you're not missing out on anything. No, I will sit up in the middle of the night. Literally, the lost recording. In the middle of the night at like 3.30 a.m., I will sit straight up in bed and just yell. Where are you you recording from now, Ryan? I have moved to the office slash guest room. Mm. Good. This is the couch that I sit on. It's it's my love seat in there that I sit on when I play video games. Gotcha. So I moved away from the kitchen because I wasn't in here initially because Hannah was in playing video games on her Xbox and so I was out in the kitchen, and then she decided to go upstairs, so I moved in here because the kitchen, like, the stairs are open to the upstairs, so, you know, I didn't want to be too loud while she was upstairs trying to either go to bed or whatever. Mm. I'm right now sense. looking up my stairs to where my children are sleeping with open doors. Mm. Meh. Meh. Well... Like, Izzy's a pretty sound sleeper, so I'm not too worried about her, but, you know, if I'm too loud, Hannah will not be able to fall asleep, so. I wish I could sleep like a kid. And I don't just mean, like, in an awkward position, still wake up okay the next day. Right. But, like, not well, that hurt. would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> not, not be in pain. Like, every once in a while, I go upstairs. Well, not, every night I go upstairs to go to bed. Mm-hmm. I stick my head into the kids' rooms just to be like, all right, still breathing. Good job. <laughs> but every once in a while, when I walk in, Michael is in some pretzel-like shape. I'm like, how the hell are you? How did you even do that? Why, why are your feet above your head? <laughs> is that comfortable? My parents tell the story of my older brother was about two and they put him down for a nap. And then my mom went in to check on him like 40 minutes later and he was not in his bed. (laughs) And they lived at that point in this house surrounded by cornfields and this was like high summer. And so they're running all over the house trying to find him and going outside trying to find him because if a two-year-old like wandered into the cornfields... Like, you're not finding him again. Nah. That, that, that's was, the corn's child now. It was yes, a major... Now child of the, corn. of the corn. It was a major panic moment. And finally, my mom found him in his closet where he had wandered into his closet and he was just, like, draped over piles of, like, junk and debris on the closet floor, sound asleep. When Chris was working nights... When he first started working nights, 
there was at least like five days in a row where I went upstairs to go to bed and I found Michael asleep in the hallway. Hmm. Like he didn't. Well, wait, my brother used to sleepwalk a little bit. He didn't bit. like stand at the top of the stairs and no, call my didn't. name like he oh, yeah. does for a few no, years. Asleep in I the vaguely hall. remember this. I don't remember it well. I don't remember any incidents that I can tell stories about. More of a sleep wander. A little bit. Yes, more of a sleep wander <laughs> to his closet when he was two. Thank you. <laughs> asleep, asleep relocate. <laughs> oh, oh, that one was rough. that was closer so than I was thinking. So good on you. We should relocate this conversation over to twelve. Clearly, that was, yeah, that was awful. We have, and it's awful every time. But we're awful. We're awful. I'm really good at making bad segues. We're awful. I forgot what I was going to say. Haven't we been here We're often awful. We're often on the Shakespeare podcast, which is what you're listening to right now. We are often on that Shakespeare podcast. You're correct. Uh, This is Shakespeare. This is episode 69. Nice. Nice. Of the Shakespeare podcast. I can't punch podcast. Ryan. He's too far away, but I can punch you. <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna talk about Twelfth Night some more. And I'm Ryan Hatfield. I'm Beth Roars. I'm Cassie Greenley. And I'm Chase Greenley. I'm Cassie the first... Greenley. No, you're I'm not. I'm Cassie Greenley. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. You should be so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I I would find it a. I would think I was very lucky. I want to be a librarian. Thank you. Thank you, Beth. Uh, So the first thing that I want to talk about, I think it's a good starting place. What's up with the title? What's up with the title, guys? Okay, I can can talk about about this. I I think we all probably can because we've all probably taken Shakespeare classes or had conversations where this has been a question that's been discussed, but our listeners may not have. This is actually, uh, also, we have not been using its full title. We have not, no. It has two. Well, this is one of of the only Shakespeare works that's subtitled upon release. Several of them have, like, a secondary title or a subtitle or whatever. They're often given later or referred to by a different title. This one actually was written with that subtitle. Um, And that subtitle being... What you oh, will. shoot. What you I lost will. It. What, what you will. will, yes. Yep. Twelfth Night or What You Will. But yeah, so, yeah, in, definitely yeah. talking about the title. Uh, I mean, the or What You Will part, not as important, but Twelfth Night. Because um, that doesn't have anything to, to do with anything. No, no, but it does. It refers to the when the play was originally performed. It was written. With the purpose of being a, a a Christmas holiday time play, that was what it was. That was what it was written for. So it was the twelfth night refers to the the twelve nights of Christmas. And the initial performance uh, of the play was performed on Candlemas. So it's basically the equivalent of if today. You had an engagement coming through and you made up a big poster and the first thing that it said across the top was one night only 
and then the title. And 400 years in the future, people are just calling the show One Night Only. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Even of. though that has nothing to do with the plot of the show. Yeah, kind of. It, if you were like, hey, would you like to go with me to see what you will? Everybody what you won't. You, what you won't. That's <laughs> <sighs> a, a, a solid... Much you do, much you don't. <laughs> that was I tried. I tried to help you out there with the much you don't. So <laughs> much you don't. Uh, but I, th- I think it's interesting that that's the title that has stuck, even though that probably was not intended to be the actual title of the play. No, but it, yeah, it's it's a reference to. So it was written. This this was written in like 1600, 1601, um, and performed Candlemas. 1602 is at least the earliest recorded you know, record of of this play being performed. Mm-hmm. So go for an ice skate on the Thames, then head your way over to the Globe for a show at night. Pop off at the Elephant and have a drink. <laughs> that sounds like a lovely evening. Because it's the pub right down the street. It's the pub right down the street. There is a pub right down the street from the Globe, still. It's not the same pub. It's not called the Elephant. It's not. It's not. But the Globe is a parking lot, so. That's true. And I think they it's... paved Shakespeare's Theater and put up a parking lot. Well, they and lost Shakespeare's Theater and then they put up. A parking lot. <laughs> everything, Don't everything, go. everything important in England ends up a car park. It's yep. true. It's, well, it's the... entropy at work. The rose is, you can only see the foundation for the rose, and it's under glass in the lobby the, of a... A law office a, a or law something, office. right? Isn't yeah. that what you told us before? Yeah. 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 I think we went in to see that. Yeah, I remember seeing that. Um, so I have the Pelican Shakespeare that I was reading this out of. This is actually my script from when I was in this. And so like I'm reading through that. the... I'm reading that's, a, through the... that's the classic cover, Pelican. Yes, that's the old school. This is this is the I bought it at Grounds. Yeah, um, the classic edition. That's the classic cover. And so I'm reading the introduction, skimming through it, and uh, one of the spectators. You can tell that the Malvolio storyline was like a, a key grabbing point for him because one of the spectators wrote an account of seeing this play performed on Candlemas. And he said it was much like the comedy of errors or the Monachmai, but, uh, and he's describing like his summary of the play is a good practice in it was to make the steward believe his lady widow was in love with him by counterfeiting a letter as from his lady in general terms, telling him what she liked best in him. And then when he came to practice, making him believe they took him to be mad. That was his summary of Twelfth Night. This is, this is what I got from the play. This is my book report. Well, and he's like, <laughs> yeah, the rest of it's like the Monachmai. It's like comedy of errors, blah, 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 blah. But. But where this, they one, made seemed, this, guy, this one guy dressed up in yellow. I yeah. made a fool this, of himself. This is part where they gaslit this asshole. Do we want to jump right into the ickiness yeah. with Malvolio? Uh, That's yeah. kind of the thing of it. Let's read that I. I agree with with Ryan. This part of the play I find to be super problematic and I don't like it. And if I was directing this, I would either address this issue and make it very severe and not humorous at all, or honestly, I would cut it from the show. 
so, it's unimportant. You can do you do the the opening of it, right? Right. Yeah. Do the embarrassment. Do the Olivia going sneak <coughs> into a dark room and let him sit there for a while. Yeah. Go go go. Put him in the dark and leave him alone for a while. You, you can never, do that. You don't have to come back to it. And in the scene where they come back to it, and even his portion of it in five one. Yeah. It all feels like an afterthought. Like somebody's yeah. like, you have to do something. Somebody's like, what happens what to Malvolio? Uh, and then somebody went back in and wrote this mean scene. It, it, yeah. it is mean. It, is, it mean. is. It's awful. It's absolutely oh. awful. So they've got him blindfolded in a room, tied up on a stool, and Feste the Clown comes in and talks to him as Feste the Clown. And is like, please, please, there's got to be something that you can do. And he's like, I've got a priest here. Maybe you can talk to the priest. And then he, like, slaps on a mustache and moves to the other side and goes, I am a priest. Tell me what you will. Yeah, he, he pretends to be a priest and mocks him. And, yeah. And it's just, it's horrible. It's absolutely awful. And I will talk about this throughout this episode. And I referenced it in the last episode. I had the opportunity to watch the National Theater's production from 2013. And they cast Malvolio as a woman, and they made it Malvolia. And they did not play these scenes with her as humorous at all. They played it very much as, this is out of control. And and when she came in in 5-1, honestly, the most genuine emotion from Olivia in that scene was absolute heartbreak Mm -hmm. for what had been done to Malvolia and her line about like they have treated you cruelly it wasn't just a throwaway line it was legitimately I am ashamed of what was done to you in my name Mm -hmm. and everybody is very uncomfortable when Malvolia comes in and the actress was phenomenal And she played her as very much like an abuse victim who is skittish, won't let anybody come near her. And when she has her line about, I will be revenged on the lot of you, it's it's scary and heartbreaking. Yeah. And I think if you're going to leave it in, it it was one of those like, we're going to stream this for a week and then we're going to shut it up in our vault again. So I hope that it's still available some way. I hope it's like available to purchase. Because it was it was a really, really good production. And if you have a way to see it, the National Theater's 2016 production, um, I, I highly recommend it. It was very, very good. And the set's amazing. And that's that's one way to definitely do that scene. And to make I mean you're gonna you're gonna make people uncomfortable, and if you're gonna go into that scene, I would rather use it that way and make people uncomfortable by the horrible things that are done than, you know, like, to and show, like, hey, these people that you think are really funny, look at this terrible shit that they're doing. Yeah. As opposed like, to playing it all for laughs and, you know, like, poor, you know, Malvolio getting, you know, yeah, Malvolio's a dickhead, but uh, does but not deserve the You treatment. don't deserve that, yeah. Just because you're, like, kind of a grumpy stick in the mud who doesn't respect other people and, you know, 
calls them out, et cetera, et cetera, doesn't mean that you deserve to be tortured in a dark room. It's still on YouTube, free to watch. Oh, is it? According okay, to the awesome. National Theater's website. 2017. Oh, 2017, yeah. Yep. Yeah, no, if you have a chance to go watch that, do, because it uh, overall oh. 100% really, well, really, really well done. So if we look at this play, and I know we're going to address a lot of this stuff, if we look at this play as a wonderful play for pride and a wonderful yeah. play to discuss those topics, you could use Malvolio to kind of address... Where they're trying conversion to scare therapy. the game oh, out of conversion therapy. Conversion therapy. Yeah. So you could try to use these scenes to bring light to that kind of conversion therapy that happens. Because it's not that different. It's not. And and there was a really interesting subtext that I enjoyed. Not subtext, but like extra commentary on the fact that Malvolia was a woman in this one. So when when she's getting ridiculed by these other characters for being too uptight, for being, you know, it it became another layer talking about if women yeah. are ambitious, they're seen in a negative light. And if women take pride in the job that they do, they do, they're seen in a negative light. And there are men working to tear them down because of it. And so I, that was a really interesting layer that got added to the story by making that character female. That's these are this is a different way that I thought about it. Um, and I always love doing these podcasts when it changes the way I think about certain scenes and things like that. Uh, I rewatched the '97 Helen and Bottom Carter mm-hmm. before I came in to watch this, and this is they make light. Of everything that happens with Mel Bolio. They play it tongue-in-cheek. Um, but that play is tongue-in-cheek. Like, that that adaptation is yeah. much more tongue-in-cheek. So I'm definitely going to have to go back and watch that National Theater production of it. If nothing else, I like the National Theater. And they used the theater space really, really well. Like, they built a hot tub into the floor in one scene. Because hmm. they can do that at the National Theater. And so it's like it's in in the middle of Olivia's estate and it's one of the times she's trying to seduce Cesario and she's like hanging out in the hot tub in a bikini and eventually trips Cesario, who's wearing like a long white tunic, into falling into the hot tub. So then there was some great physical comedy of her going, my shirt is now wet, clingy and see-through and I desperately need to find Mm -hmm. a way to cover up because I can't let her see that or my ruse will be destroyed. Yeah. So there was a lot of, of physical hijinks that they added. It was a it's a it's a really great production. I can't recommend it highly enough. If it's still on YouTube, by all means, please go watch it. Um, what else we got? What's next? Uh, we can keep on this track talking about the opportunities for sexual representation and gender representation that this play presents and affords for that community. I think that this play presents, so As You Like is the other one that has big gender bends Mm -hmm. in it, and it doesn't provide the same opportunities as Twelfth Night does. I think a... Because there's constant asides about sex and gender and, 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 but, and I am no man, and I am no man, over and over and over again, where 
Viola's never trying to lie about what's going on. She's not describing her gender. So I think you can play a lot with the gender fluidity. Well, and mm-hmm. and at the because at the end in that end scene when Viola and Orsino get engaged to be married, Viola never drops being Cesario. Not fully, no. She, you know, she holds on to that, and so the the either you know with gender fluidity or non-binary or or what whatever. Um, it's just interesting to think about the fact that for for Viola, Cesario is not a lie. A performance of self, but not a lie. Not yeah, not not a lie to to share just a part of a part of themselves that they don't necessarily share otherwise. Well, and there's a line that she has when she first encounters Sebastian again. And there's a couple different ways that you can interpret it because she basically says, like, one of the interpretations is, don't embrace me while I'm dressed like a boy. Wait until I'm dressed like a girl again and then we can embrace. Um, But you can also play that moment as, uh, if the reason you're not embracing me is because I'm dressed like a boy, rest assured I am your sister. It is me here, you know. Um, there's a couple different interpretations, but I think playing with her androgynous um, nature and playing with that gender fluidity is really interesting. A really interesting take. I'd be intrigued to see it um, explored and played out. And then I think, like, I think you have to, you have to make Orsino bisexual or pansexual because if you don't or at least or at least demi Demi, because if you don't play up the mutual attraction between those two characters earlier in the play then the end feels a a shock and a surprise later when they yeah and so no yeah for sure and so i think play that up that that attraction is there on both of them early on, but Orsino is so single-mindedly focused on no Olivia. It has to be Olivia. I've come too far to give up on Olivia. Yeah, and that it's not necessarily that Orsino's not noticing Cesario that way at that time because Cesario's another man, but Cesario is not Olivia. And yeah, and then you can make that bullheaded. You can make that transition in Act Five smoother, honestly, because you can play it as at that point, Orsino's just continuing this pursuit of Olivia because it's what he's done for so long. What well, and Olivia was was unattainable, and you know everyone wanted Olivia, and so Orsino at least thought that he kind of also had to. Right, and if you are unsure of where you're going, if you are unsure of your own sexuality and what it is that drives you, following what everybody else is doing yeah, is the safest way Absolutely, to go. and I think that that can create a really great moment in Act 5 with Orsino 
when Olivia goes, this man is married to me. He is my husband. And Arsino is like shocked and betrayed. You can play that moment if you've played up the attraction with Viola as Cesario and Orsino earlier on. You can play that moment as I'm betrayed, but not in the way that I thought I would be. I'm not betrayed because he married Olivia. I feel betrayed because Olivia married him. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And you can kind of paint that as a moment where he realizes, oh, you know, shit, I... The I'm not in I'm love with the person I thought I was. Yeah, the reason Both that I was people. upset, the reason that I the reason that I'm upset was because it was Cesario that was married. Yeah, no, and that's a that's a great way to look at that and a much more interesting uh way to portray things and much more inclusive. Yeah. Also, and you can make some interesting choices, I think, with Sebastian as well, because here you've got this guy who uh, goes and agrees to marry a woman he's literally never seen before because she comes up to him on the street is like, hey, listen, I know that you and I have had our differences, but please marry me. Sure. Well, she did ask nicely. Sebastian, Sebastian has some real uh, impulse control but th- problems. Think about... Think about those times where, like, before Doma was overturned. Mm-hmm. And so Doma's in place, it's been passed, and all of a sudden a reality show pops up that is, a, like, married on site. Where people are playing fast and loose with your ability to just, yeah, we're a man and a woman, so we can just get married if we want to. It doesn't matter having these throwaway marriages for nothing, their relationship is easy. And every other relationship that we're being presented with is difficult. There's things to overcome. Oh, this could be so and, good. we got to stage this. And I... what could be really interesting, again, with that specific relationship, is that, yeah, in the mix and the muddle of all of that, in like act four, their relationship is easy. But once things get cleared up and the truth comes out in act five, their relationship becomes the most complicated because yeah, then you've got Olivia standing there going, you knew that we didn't know each other and you knew that I thought you were somebody else and, and you, you still, still agreed yes. that, to this and you, still, yeah. and you went along and now we're married and that's legal and binding. And I didn't, that's not what I consented to. And you yeah, can really right. play with her, like, why, who, why would you do that? What did they say to the priest? Because the priest, like, I am an ordained minister, and I have to say certain phrases about intent. Like, quick, quick. do you, Cassie Greenlee, come to take Chase Greenlee as your lawfully wedded husband? At that point, she, was it... Do you, Olivia, come to take Cesario? And he was just like, that's an interesting way to say Sebastian. <laughs> Here's what we do, Beth. Here's how we fix it. But this uh, is like, we're talking quickie weddings in the 1500s. They Do you? Yeah. Do you? They yeah. ransacked no, the no, priest no. and took him behind the woodshed so he'd marry him. Here we go. This is our friar. He's just come from, like, a failure of an attempt, and he's so desperate to do something <laughs> right that when this couple comes agrees. before him, and they're like, we want to get married, he's like, yeah, okay, I can do that. Nobody's pretending to be dead? Nobody's pretending yeah. to be dead? Okay. Are your families fighting? No? 
Okay. No, you're, uh, you're just straight up. You're just had. straight up getting married. That's all you want. Fuck, that's you're, easy. That's, that's easy. That's There's a no gimme. Are you, are you hiding from anybody? No. And so then, okay. when the truth comes out, because he's there for the whole thing, when the truth comes out, yeah, because the friar's fire, sitting fire there going, the first... oh fuck it. <laughs> oh fuck. <laughs> How did I mess this one up? <laughs> and then he just kind of like fades back into the bush. <laughs> yeah. Just disappears back in. Gonna go find time in the woods for a little while. <laughs> I need to go dig up some potatoes. Get some woods time in. But no, I think I think in this day and age, to to put on this play as anything other than fully diverse in terms of there's a there's a representation lot, is a there's disservice. a lot of opportunity for queer representation because it's in it's this. so it, there it's it's there on the page for you you don't have to do anything except acknowledge so, it if if you don't yeah you just have to acknowledge it it's there on the page if you're not acknowledging it then that's a problem you're, yeah you're being very obtuse about your world and why are you producing but yeah this play? I think this play has such great opportunities for that kind of queer representation oh and it, 100% agree it should be it should be played that way and and people especially with antonio people who are just like oh no they're just pals he just he loves him as a friend that's what that means like no look i really like ryan he and i have been together for a long time and i'd probably give him my money if he needed it and I might take care of them for three months, but if I walk into, let's say, if I go back to Walmart, they're going to kill me and throw me in jail, whatever order that actually happens in, I'm not following him to Walmart. <laughs> what did you do at a Walmart to get a murder death ban? Well, Mike Porteous and I used to hang out there. Oh, well, there it is, right there. That's, the, yeah. that's it. I remember screaming at something about mayonnaise. Probably terrible. Mm. Um, but we can segue that conversation, especially talking but about Olivia at the end. To, um, and to me, that's the most important conversation. Uh, no, it I absolutely think. is. That's how you make this play relevant and meaningful for today's audiences. Yeah. And I think had I had I ever seen a production that did that, I probably wouldn't be so disappointed with this play. I mean... The Malvolio thing, still. But I think if there was more... Oh, it's just so bland otherwise. That's fair. That is fair. Especially when we've already done, you know, Two Gentlemen and As You Like It and Much Ado About Nothing and all of those things that have these different parts... And they're all in this play. Yeah. yeah. And each one of those archetypes, I don't know, tropes, is maybe performed better in the other play. What? But you throw them all together in this one, and it gives you something interesting if you choose to. Well, like the garden scene in Much Ado About Nothing is better than the garden scene in this play. Yeah. I'll give you that. They're not exactly the same, right? But... No. 
But there is hidden listening to There's a, yeah, it's a, the, the eavesdropping and the love letters and stuff like that. I mean, very similar. But the intent is so vastly different. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Kind of. I mean, no, because they're still trying to make her fall in love with words. Well, they're trying to convince aren't... Malvolio that. Uh, yeah. But then they're they're trying to convince, in in. The in, let's say the intent really couldn't ever love Beatrice. The intent it was better in Much Ado About Nothing. Because the it was genuine. There, well, the intent was genuine. They cared about these two people who clearly cared about each other, but refused to be willing to admit it. And they used the garden scene to get them to come to grips with their feelings about each other that were already there and already genuine. This is for cruelty's sake. Yeah, this is just to humiliate. Which and, is why uh, Beth likes it. I'm, I'm a terrible person. <laughs> well, and this reminded me, you thinking about this, because I feel like this plot with Malvolio doesn't jive with the rest of the play. It feels it, a little it doesn't. discordant. And I was reminded... And that's why we're... Yeah, go ahead. I, I feel like that just, like, as we've talked about the Malvolio scene, we've talked about different ways we could try to make it work, or if we focus on this part, we can force it into, but it doesn't jive with everything else you're saying. Yeah. Everything else you're saying is about love and um, finding your brother or sister again. Finding and... yourself, even. Yeah. Yeah, finding yourself even. But here are three people, four, if you count Mariah in on Mar- it. Well, Mar- Mariah, Belch, Aguecheek, and, and Fabian. Fabian. Well, and Fabian. Fabian is the shit starter. He's the worst of it. Which is funny because at the end of the play, who do they send after Malvolio to console him but Fabian? It's a poor choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it. Re- What's he gonna do? Put the beard on again? <laughs> He's throwing him back in the room. But this this idea, this conversation that about that plot being discordant, reminded me when we were talking about Merchant of Venice, and we were saying that the the plot at the end of Merchant of Venice with the rings and the let's embarrass our husbands feels out of place yeah. with the overall tone of that show. And I yeah. feel like we could take those two plots and we could swap them. And so instead of having this Malvolio plot in this play, Shylock could be taken to a dark room and just heaped on some more, and it would be more in keeping with the tone of that play. And we could do, like, the ring swap. You mean incredibly anti-Semitic? Incredibly <laughs> anti-Semitic and problematic, yes. And we could yeah. add, like, the let's embarrass Sebastian and Orsino with some kind of, like, ring trick showing Viola and Olivia getting along together. It's just so beneath Portia. Exactly. It doesn't belong in that play with those characters. That, and this plotline doesn't belong in this play with these well, characters. And, and, uh... Speaking of Portia, and we also, um, what, what is one of the other major, who am I thinking of? Who am I thinking of? Rosalind? Rosalind, yes. Rosalind and As You Like It, Portia and Merchant of Venice, their, um, gender 
bending or or gender swap is to enable them to directly intervene to 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 affect the plot. Yeah, for Rosalind it's to protect her cousin and her cousin's reputation and for Portia it's to be able to step in in this trial um and save Antonio. But I think what you're getting at Ryan is that Viola doesn't really have a good reason to pretend to be a boy. Well, there's there's no good reason but she doesn't Isn't a pirate. She, I well, feel she, like she doesn't do it to affect the plot. She lets the plot unfold without directly intervening. Like, time takes care of the plot. Well, time, thou must unravel this, not I. It is too hard a knot for me to untie. Um, But I feel like she and Sebastian both have poor impulse control issues because I feel like she latched onto this idea of, I'm going to pretend to be a boy. That'll make everything fine. And then she gets into it, and it's like a week into, and she goes, this actually was unnecessary, but I'm in too but deep now in to for back a penny, out. In for a pound. And now she has to live with the consequences of her bad decision. And then she's it, doing it for three months and making... If living as a man means that she gets to stay next to him, that's fine. That's what it is for her. Cool. That's her willow hut. And Make people do what they do for love. As long as you're not creepy, as long as you're not hurting somebody else, or yourself, it's okay. Trying to get your niece to sleep with someone. Yeah, yeah, as long as you're not, like, at least Toby Belch wasn't doing that. He wasn't like, now kiss, so I can watch. <laughs> no, he wasn't Jesus. like creepy uncle. Um, but but I, I do agree to a certain That's extent. That's my nightmare fuel now, Ryan. That face you just made. <laughs> I do agree to a certain extent that there's a point Ryan made early last episode about how if you take the common Shakespeare tropes like mistaken identities, twins, shipwrecks, breaches roll, and you put all those in a hat and like pull them out, what play can I make from these? That kind of feels like that's how we got 12th night. That's this play. That's this play. Instead of pulling them individually, that's comedy. I mean, that's what happened with comedy. Instead of individually pulling them out of a hat, you put them all in the hat and then went, Oh, I'm writing this play. And you just dumped the hat right the fuck back out (laughs) onto the table. (laughs) Like, you didn't didn't choose. You didn't, like, Oh, I'm going to pull three out of a hat. We're going to go with those. No, it's literally, I got 17 tropes. I'm gonna put them all in here. He he picked three out and then put those three back in and then everything else. Like he dumped yeah. the hat out, put those three back in because nobody pretends to be so, dead. Nobody pretends to be dead. Do in you this think one. that Burbage walked in like it's the first night of Christmas? And he's like, hey, guess what? I got us the prime spot for the twelfth. I, I got us booked. So what do you got that's new? And Shakespeare's like, I have six unfinished plays <laughs> and he's like yeah just um get some tape <laughs> cross the cross the names out hey, good whose who dialogues tape. match the most together well i was writing this tragedy and this these were my villains oh we need a good villain 
just slap them in there. Hey, uh, make them the common people. Common people love it when they do bad stuff. This character's actually supposed to be a gentleman. Mm, who cares? Get it going. That Maybe that's what happened. Maybe. I often think that when the plays turn weird, it's because Burbage walked in and was like, It's Richard Burbage's uh, fault. We really do have like a defamation campaign against Richard Burbage yeah. from this podcast. We, need, we, need, hey, <laughs> we blame hey, everything on him. Hey, Billy. Billy, we need this. I, we need this yesterday. Yesterday. I, the Shakespeare, like the history books that I read about the King's players, the Burbage, Burbage's company, he was a dick. Yeah. He did that stuff. He was like, All right, we need a comedy. That gentleman needs to be able to show his ass at least twice so I can sell some tickets. That guy has a nice, <laughs> he's, he's got I am, a nice ass, and I need a new ass myself. That theater needs to be filled with terrible, smelly people. It needs to reek to high heaven. Bill, I know you can do it. You got I three need, days. See ya. Well, I need some unwashed masses in this bitch. <laughs> it's either Elder Bill or young Thomas Decker. Yeah. And young Thomas Decker is like, I've got the Duchess of Mothy. Let's put some blood on that stage on the 12th of December. Yeah. And Richard Bird is just like, no, we, we cannot murder. <laughs> we cannot murder a bunch of people on candle mass. <laughs> can't do it. Uh, fucking can't do it. Shut the fuck up, I want, Decker. And, uh, I was thinking more like, Hallmark Billy Shakes less... is listening at the keyhole, like ready to burst in with Mackers, and he hears that, and he just yeah. like crumples it and throws it. Yeah, over he's his just like, he's like, well, not that one. Sight is two, maybe next week. Can we do? And he's walking upstairs with what he's got, and they all fly up in the air, and then they fall down. Can space. we do much ado about Gentlemen of Verona if you like it? <laughs> There's an Antony. Antonio, there's an Antonio. Yeah. I mean, uh, he's in all of the other ones, right? Well, and the, hey, there's a storm at the beginning. It's the Tempest. But I well. am, I'm, I'm seriously. And going there's an Antonio to... and Sebastian in that. When once we are done reading and discussing all of the plays, which will be soon because we are down to three. After this one, we have three more plays. I'm going to. We've got what? Taming Hamlet, Taming Hamlet, and, and Backers. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take over one of the walls in here, and I am legitimately going to put post-its up that are, like, one line of all of the Shakespeare tropes and one line of all of the Shakespeare plays, and I'm going to use, like, string and <laughs> pins to connect. Are you going to turn our dining room into an evidence dungeon? <laughs> yes. It is okay. going to be. Yes. It's gonna all be right. It will be our Shakespeare dungeon. evidence dungeon. I've got another idea for... Furthering the Shakespeare podcast. Always yeah. happy to hear it. And choose your own adventure, Shakespeare. Yes, I'm in. You're in? I'm in, 100%. I think I can write a D&D style choose your own adventure Shakespeare campaign. Hmm. That'd be another path Shakespeare. Well, I don't want to do what they're doing. No, the joke is that we went down another path, and that other path oh. was Shakespeare. I did have an idea, and we're probably a little ways out from it yet, but for for our uh, generous Patreon backers, we do offer once a month there is uh, a bonus episode of a various Ghostlight Media show 
Um, and I have been playing around with the idea of doing a round of that being, okay, everybody has to do a different show than they normally do. So I would like, love to do that. I would love to do that. Um, I'll have to be very careful if we are doing imprinted echoes. Yes, no, that's that. That's going to be the tricky one. I have a feeling. I have thoughts on what because I, I think I think it would be very funny if um, the two of you, Bridget and Brittany Albrecht, were to do another path because you are the th- you are the ones who don't do any of that. Um, that would be funny. It also would be really funny if Beth and I did Zach and Griffin's multiversal pet shop. That would also be very good. Um, I would uh, love. To, but, I would love to do that. I don't know. I don't know if we could be as good as those boys are, though. I, I, they I do a real good job. You would definitely have your own flavor to it for sure. Uh, but yeah. I think uh, I, 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 I also really like the idea of Beth running us in D and D Shakespeare would be very good. I do also have another idea of how that could go, and if you, it is the most extra thing we could do, but it would work and be very funny. Wait, speaking of extra things, yes, this is a great segue back to talking about this play. Absolutely. All right. We need to get back we, to adaptations. We had to, we had to, so rep, we had to rep the rest oh, of our, our Oh, no, ghost it's a follow friends. me segue. Follow me. It's a follow, follow me segue. Right. Oh, God. So one of the extra things that we are doing for our Patreons mm-hmm. is Chase and I are going to riff track Cats. Yes. The director of Cats is the same director of Twelfth Night with Helen and Bottom Carter. Oh. That wasn't that far. I thought there were going to be way more steps on that path. Yeah, but you had to, you had to go along with it. Yeah, I was expecting path. a lot more degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's not. It's not that many. It's not that many. And so when I was trying to decide what adaptation I wanted to watch, because uh, Amanda Bites, I mean, she's the man. It's terrible. But in, it's in just a good awful. way. In a good way. It's terrible. I'm like, you know what? I haven't watched that in a while. It's four ninety nine to buy it digitally. Done. Why not? I go to pull it up. I'm looking at the 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 Vita on it, seeing what's going on. Cats? Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> was that an actual cat? <laughs> was was that Finn? That was spinning. <laughs> so you I can't train my, animals my... to do that on command. No. <laughs> You can't. Especially not a so cat. I have my office is now set up as a sewing room right now, because why not? Mm-hmm. Um, and the cat is very amused by little spools of thread and other cat Likes to get things. in at the bobbins. At the bo- she likes the bobbins. And so I was watching her like go through this room, and there was a minute ago she jumped up on the ironing board, which her computer is on, and I thought that I was going to lose everything. <laughs> uh, but no, she climbed behind the sewing machine and then Fell down the blinds. She's special. She's de- very special. She's definitely my cat. <laughs> definitely so, my cat. Um, what do we got? Uh, pins. We're talking about. We're talking about adaptations. adaptations. That's, a, that's a good one to talk about. And so, I yes, have talked the... at length about the National Theater production. It was really, really good. Um, um, so there's also the Helena Bonham Carter. There's a 1986 Australian uh, adaptation. Right. There's, there's the one man who, whoever the fuck there's, Amanda Bynes is in. She's the man is a modernization. She's the man. About a girl was, who wants to play 
soccer, soccer and her all girls school cuts the soccer team so she pretends so to her be... brother she... her brother has gone on walkabout somewhere yeah. i don't know what he's doing and he it sounds so she... like a pretty <laughs> prince jr movie <clears throat> no, it's, uh, it's a Channing little... Tatum. Yeah, it's Channing Tatum. It's a little post Freddie Prince Jr. Yeah. Whatever. Same, but same it, difference. It is at the same time that we, like, it's around the same period where we're getting 10 Things I Hate About You yeah. and Clueless. Uh, well, not Clueless. No, 10 Things I Hate About You was in the 90s. Yeah, that She's was the man did not come so, out. No, it came out. Mm-mm. It's within a decade. Within, within a, a decade, decade yeah. of it. So it's in the same, like, production time frame. Oh, and all of these other like adaptations, these teen drama adaptations of it. And somebody shits on a script, wipes it around, and it becomes She's the Man. It's not And that. She's it's... the Man is so amazingly bad. <laughs> I love it. It, is, I love it, it. has honestly been about 10 years since I've watched it, um, but oh, I so remember bad. enjoying it. It's so good because you've got. Sebastian, she just goes as Sebastian the entire time. She is being Yeah, she's pretending to be her brother at his all-boys school so she can play on the soccer team so that she can beat her um, horrible ex-boyfriend who told her that she was no good at soccer. Right. And where where is her brother at this? He's like run away to explore the world and find himself. He basically, he calls her and he's like, hey, uh, I'm not going to be back in time for school. Can you go be me? At no point in time does her school call to find out what the fuck she is. Like nope. what she's like, yeah, what she's supposed the to plot, fucking be doing. Trust me, the plot holes in it. You could drive a truck so with them. So big. So don't try to work it out. It's not gonna happen. You just have to go with the flow of enjoying watching Amanda Vines run into a bathroom at a fair, put on a really bad wig, and it's a bad one, uh, and run out in a polo shirt. Forget to take off her binding at one point, or she forgot to put her binding on, and so she has boobies while she's trying to like talk up her brother's girlfriend to make sure he's. Uh, it's just it's com- it's convoluted and it's amazing. It's amazing. I can't believe they made it work. They didn't, but I can't believe that they attempted it. Um, I can't. I can't believe just, they made it work, but they didn't. But they, they tried. Like, they got it. it A for effort. F and she she eventually the only way to prove that she's a girl is in the middle of a she soccer game and she too. like flashes everybody um, because at one point what? her brother comes back and gets shoved onto the soccer field as her but yeah. he can't play soccer at all so it's no a he's like a musician he's he's yeah it's it's delightful it really is uh, the other one so I consider. And at least one other website that I looked at. Do you guys remember the 80s version of... Oh, Jesus. Her name is Terry. Gonna need a little bit more information. Hatcher? No. No. Uh, It's like she's the man. All the boys. All the boys. Where she cuts her hair into a pixie cut and nothing else about her looks like a gentleman. Never mind. It's an 80s film. So there's a, another one that's an 80s film. It's pretty much like She's the Man, um, where they're doing, like, she's on the football team. The cover of it, she's got her pixie cut, and she's got two football helmets, in, like, covering up her breasts, because that's the 1980s. 
Well, yeah, because everything was tits and ass in the 80s, especially if it was a teenage or college age comedy. Yeah, that was the mid-90s, mm-hmm. right? So, other adaptations. The Helen Bottom Carter, which I brought up because of cats. So, one of my favorite things about that is the opening scene. And it starts on the ship. And they start on the ship with, like, there's a masquerade going on. And everybody loves these twins. They're delighting the entire passenger ship of people with this song and dance routine where they're sitting at a piano and they're both wearing veils and they're both dressed as women. Um, and they're singing a song and one sings high and then one sings low like a man. And they take off one veil to reveal a masculine face. And then he reaches across the other veil to reveal a very similar masculine face. He reaches across and he pulls off her fake mustache and she reaches across to do the same thing. So they have this, like, gender reveal going back and forth between the two, which makes you think that the twins have done this several times, that they've switched places, that they've played with the gender between the two of them. And it enables you to fall into the fact that the gender is going to, like, that she could, that Viola could slide into that gender very easily. She's done it before. Why wouldn't she do it now? And it's just an extra scene that someone's into the beginning of this play. Plot twist. It's a con they've been running. The shipwreck con. That's what happened to Pericles. That's what happened to Pericles. As quickly as Viola turns to... It was at the twins. Dressing up like a man. It has to be something that Viola has done before. Either to... Well, because she passes... Right? For three months. Without any, mm-hmm. like, nobody ever questions. No, not apart from the comments of, you know, you look an awful lot like a woman. There are a couple of those from Orsino. But for the most part, so it's obviously a mode of life that Viola is comfortable in. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a valid and so that for sure. That's something that, you know, like we talk about with with uh, gender fluidity or, or non, non-binary or uh, genderqueer or any of those different types of things. That, um, or even just living androgynously. Um, is obviously something that, you know, Viola has either done before or at least experienced before or or something like that even if it's not something she's done before it's something she's comfortable with Mm -hmm. yeah and well and if if that's maybe something that's part of who viola is then it you know like i said i think it's very important for us the the way that we were talking about with the the representation and everything like that i think it's very important yeah which uh, it's why i think that the end of the play it can't be or Sidio going, oh, thank God. I agree. I agree 100%. Orsino has to be okay with Cesario being who he fell in love with. And I think that one of the things the National Theater's production does with that moment, because it's there, they add it in, but they definitely also portray him as someone who is flawed and growing. growing. 
and figuring yeah. things out about himself. But he's at at one point he's at, they make one in one of the scenes into his birthday party, and he's like turning forty, and so. I mean, I can understand being 40 years old and never having questioned that part of your identity until... Being able to fall back into the comfort zone. Yeah, until this this young man walks into your life and makes you question everything. And then I think you, you could excuse slightly that moment of, oh, at least you're a woman that explains it. But then you have to, like, build on that. A little bit more with it, it explains, explains it, it but, but does, does it explain it? it? Yeah, that can't exactly. be the last thing. You have to have something else. So many of those movies where so many like uh, one of the guys, by the way, was the name of the movie. I looked it up. When she reveals that she's actually a woman, we get one of those. Oh god! Right, and that uh, can't be the end moments. of the conversation. But I think that that reaction can be a very genuine reaction for his character depending on how it's well and that reaction it's directed and presented it can it can start absolutely. a conversation absolutely it can it, um, it, every reaction can it can be constructive but when you are constructive you have to build to something yeah yeah yes. it has to go past yep. has to go past 100 percent. 100 percent and i really i actually really enjoy the conversation as much as i don't really like this play I am really enjoying the conversation we are having around this play. And that was the thing that I wanted to do going Aww. into this one. Knowing look that... Look at sharing! Look, this play still sucks. <laughs> but the conversation that we're having around this play is what's really what's important. And it's one of the reasons that we're doing this whole Shakespeare it's is, not just to make fun of people. It's for the conversation. It's for the yeah. the growth and the learning and different perspectives and making Shakespeare accessible. Right, because... Ryan hasn't had enough food. Because it's important to remember... Is it because I can say words like accessible? Yeah, and you're getting sentimental. No, Here if I was... I wouldn't be getting sentimental if... Or I would... I would yeah, be maybe more, you've had enough. You're I would good. be more sentimental if I had had more beer. But no, I think you're right. I think part of the reason to even undertake this project is to be sitting here saying, look, we have a tendency in our culture today to revere William Shakespeare. He's become this name that is held above all. But it's important to read these plays, remembering that they were written and published and performed 400 years ago. And some it's of like them, yeah. Jesus. Some of them may not hold up, so it's important to read them and examine them with a critical lens, and to find ways that the more problematic or mediocre among them can be made relevant to today's society. And that is a topic we are one hundred percent going to be getting much deeper into when we talk about taming. And absolutely, uh, taming is super no, super problematic. Super um and. And well, and, and the accessibility of Shakespeare. I mean, we're sitting around, we're drinking beer, and we're talking about Shakespeare. It's uh, you know, like you said, it's a, a revered topic. But you know, we're this isn't fireside chats. We're not James Lipton. We're well, currently, normally we're people sitting around a table getting drunk together and doing this. You know, currently we're looking at each other over 
our computers, you know, as as the... Oh, uh, and my beer is so much farther away in my own house than when it's at Chase's. I actually had to bring an extra beer in here with me when I relocated to the office. I did um, that I did that when I came in originally, but, uh, but it's so we're, far away, and Chris is in the middle of a video game, so I definitely have some we're uh, we're like average folk, yeah. Talking about Shakespeare, yeah. Because you know it has impacted our lives in one way, shape, or form, or multiple ways. And these plays are going to continue to get produced. So when we talk about adapting these plays to fit today's time, you could just pick a play written by somebody who is of the LGBTQ plus. You could just pick one of their plays mm-hmm. and produce it. For sure, one hundred percent. And you, you should. Take you should an authentic totally. voice instead of doing Shakespeare. But the audience that will come in to sit down for a twelfth night is not the same audience that will come in to sit down for the newer play. You're going to reach a larger audience. You're going to be able to spread the message if you can take the time to do it. Well, and there are the they're always going to be people who are going to see the classics and they're going to go see them because and I I think it's one of the things that we aimed to do when Lion Face was still on was to do theater that made people think and that's why we started doing this show was to think and talk about these topics. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. In, in relation to a thing that we love, we love William Shakespeare. I love William Shakespeare. I've been reading Shakespeare's plays for over half my life at this point. Um, oh, five, oh, three quarters of my life at this point, almost. Um, and it's a topic near and dear to my heart. And so to, to discuss the different ways... One, that the bard is flawed. We know there's a lot of flaws. And we don't, we don't, we don't sugarcoat it. But we also celebrate the ways that they are good already and can be better. And I acknowledge that my perspective on this play leans in a biased direction because I, I got to play Viola. In the production that Beautiful Kids did 10 years ago, I got to play Viola, who is one of my favorite Shakespeare women. And even though that production was a clusterfuck, um, <laughs> the cast really bonded together. That was the that was, that the, was hate the hate baby, baby show. show. And the yeah, cast hey, bonded I together. I would applaud yeah. us for getting this far in this discussion and not specifically calling out that all I'm going to say all I'm going to say is that that production in many ways was a clusterfuck and none of it was the fault of the actors in the cast yes um but i i got to play the- this role and this was really the first time that i got to fully immerse myself into shakespeare as Performance. I had taken some classes where I'd done like a monologue or a scene here or there. I'd been in Henry V, but I had small parts. And this show was the show where I got to play the lead and play a really, good you character. You got to live and breathe. And really immerse myself in the language. And so I love Viola. And I think I've got more of a soft spot for this show because of that experience. 
Oh, for sure, for sure. You lived and breathed this play for a month before performing it, you know, definitely, and that's gonna happen, that's for sure. Um, but we, yeah. Um, well, Viola she's is... She's great. She's really great. She's a choice role. And when we she's talk wonderful. about... She's got yeah, so when we many talk levels. about agency of women, this... Well, and I think with this play, you can't. It's not even agency of women. You're They're driving about... everything that happens. It's worth pointing out that Vila is about as, for lack of a better term, quarantined from the icky parts of this play as a character in a play could be. Yeah, she's completely quarantined from the icky parts of the play. Yeah, she has, she has no real contact with Melvolio. Mm-hmm. I mean, she deals with with sir andrew but not in any of the icky parts it's in the you know yeah neither they 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 get tricked into fighting the shit starter squad like mucks around in her life but that's about it they start some shit but that's that's their b plot is like hey let's let's ruin this dude's day we're ruining this dude's life he's over there for a second so let's Let's do something else. But when you think about... We gotta let that guy rest in his... Can somebody let me rest in a dark room? (laughs) Not right now. We're still recording a podcast, Beth. We're still recording. You got, like, probably at least Uh, half uh, an Ten minutes. Probably max. Okay. Uh, Um, but, But when you think about the question of agency of women and you think about this play and the major parts of the plot, Olivia and Viola and Mariah are propelling it forward duke orsino doesn't do anything but sit in his house and whine and send other people to do his shit for him point though Wait, he's barely in the play Olivia also does not take care of any of her own dirty work that is also true that's fair olivia if something no, well, yeah, is the, but that's, that's that's olivia doesn't want to say it she has someone to do that. That's the yeah. rich people. So, that's the rich okay, people. Okay, so, so we take it down to Viola and Mariah. Olivia has the agency to do that. She just chooses not to. She chooses not to. But with this particular play, I think that you look, I think the agency of women is not intersectional enough. Because the agency of women is all the way at 100%, you can look at how it goes even further than that. That you have characters who are bridging gender gaps within here. I love this play. I'm just going on about it, but I I think that the agency of women in this is probably one of the highest in Shakespeare's play. Yeah, I'd be willing to say that. And I think that's probably why I walk in this play going, I love this play. Because the women are doing it. And there, There are probably for sure reasons for that. And I'm not faulting anyone for liking it. I just have my reasons for not liking it. Which is cool. And since Which is cool. Well, since I know uh, you what else are we wondering. <laughs> I have my spreadsheet. How many times has the Oregon Shakespeare Festival produced this play? How many do you think? I'm going to go with seven. Eight. I'm going with 12. This is 12. their most produced title. Tied with As You Like It. Wow. It has been performed 16 times. Wow. In their run. It was Twelfth Night as you like as it. you like it at the Twelfth Night was actually performed the first 4 years in a row. Like back when they were only doing like 3 shows. Yeah, but that was what like the 30s, 40s, 19... something like that. That was 1936 through 38. So don't forget 35 through 38. Yeah, so nobody are... had nobody had good taste back then. 
That was when Hitler was rising to power. Jesus, Ryan. Their their opening their opening season was Twelfth Night and Merchant of Venice. Oh, so good, the anti-Semitic play. Their second their second season was Twelfth Night, Merchant of Venice, and Romeo and Juliet. So don't forget, so, they yeah. are a repertoire theater. They have always been a repertoire theater. They have like of all of the shows that they are putting on, they are going on at the same time. One will be done Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, yeah, and the next rotating, one tear down, build up Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah. Rotating so weekends or whatever, moving. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that it's been done sixteen times, and that they did it three years in a row just means that they had the sets, they had no money, and they needed to do it again. <laughs> Especially because that's when they were first getting yeah. started. Yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, that, that that a choice there. This merchant and R and J, this and merchant together, like. Seriously, that was when Hitler was rising to power. You don't put on the anti-Semitic play. Actually, that's that... when you put on the anti-Semitic play. Yeah. When... You put on, when there's a yeah. witch hunt, it's when you put on the crucible. Because it makes people take a look. Merchant would be hella poignant right this moment. Oh, oh we've, we've made that. I believe we made that, com- that uh, consideration when we talked about Merchant of Venice. Just like the same thing that the part of the reason that uh, Beth struggled with Coriolanus, as she mentioned last time, was because I don't fucking like those people. All the Trumpy shit going on, hmm. and we were reading a play that had. Oh, that was the play that I kept doing that to, wasn't? Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Coriolanus plays. Yeah, I hate that play. So we touched on agency of women, and we talked a little bit about adaptations. Um earlier and so our last permapin is language eh, it was good so there <laughs> one one interesting thing of note with language so this is set in illyria which is an ancient part of europe on the balkan sea that it's named for um i think the name is suggested from like a roman play or something like that like the iliad uh, I could look, but off the top of my head, I can't remember. Um, but the Illyrian like names are this- are Italian. Olivia, Antonio, Sebastian, Orsino, Viola, and the comedic characters all have English names. That is interesting. You're right. Toby Belch, Andrew Aguecheek. It's because they're hmm. different plays that have been taped together. Because uh, Olivia, because Burbage is a dick. Olivia has I an Italian. Favorite... She's she's got the Italian name, and she has a very English named uncle. I think my favorite image to come out of this episode of the podcast specifically is. Richard Burbage going. Yeah, hey, yeah, hey. <laughs> <laughs> they just. Why can't we put it together? Well, they're not. They're, they're not. They don't take place in the same area. What? So, just call it Illyria. Uh, Illyria. That's the name of this tape. Illyria <laughs> brand tape. <laughs> sticking together things while, that shouldn't be sticking together. Sudden, while, of a, while of a sudden, while of a sudden, my head did. <laughs> 
did Richard Burbage all of a sudden started like started sounding like Gilbert Gottfried to me? I don't know if you guys know this, but Gilbert Gottfried has a TikTok channel. And if you're hmm. not watching it, I don't know what you're doing with your life. Not watching TikTok? You should. Yeah, well, there's your problem. There's your problem. But I don't know Chase why. Chase at least one TikTok set for me, like, every other week. Uh, but I don't know why, but all of a sudden, Richard Burbage is now Gilbert Gottfried. So, let's write that movie. I'm going to send him a message and see if he will make us a Richard Burbage tape. Wallace Shawn is playing William Shakespeare. I would watch that movie. <laughs> I would watch that movie, that's too. A, that's a good, that's a good oh, movie uh, you just made up there. Speaking of Richard Burbage and also adaptations of this show, we touched on this very briefly earlier. Another one you can kind of claim um, is Shakespeare in Love. Well, yeah, Shakespeare in Love heavily just references this. Yeah, because the main, the love interest that they give Shakespeare, her Viola. name is Lady Viola, and she pretends to be a man so that she can perform in the theater, which was not acceptable. Yep. Um, and so there are there are a little parallels rat boy Thomas and Decker at the end, it. yeah, and at the end when like she uh, is spoilers when she's forced to marry somebody else and sent across the sea to America. He promises to write her into a play, and the last images are it starts yeah. with a shipwreck. I saw her bubbies. And everyone is. <laughs> oh, oh, rat Thank boy. You. Little rat boy. Wasn't there a Twelfth Night that came out recently, though? Like an art film? Twelfth Night? Not off the top of sure, my head. Sounds like it to me. Yeah. I'm trying to find it. Hmm. But no, yeah, yeah, it's um, Shakespeare and Love. Obviously, it heavily references this uh this play yeah they're performing romeo and juliet but they're living yeah. 12th night they're living 12th night in a which lot of is, ways yeah which is maybe why everything is so bad it it is it was 2018 was kind of art house it is completely a cast of people of color Excellent. Okay. Not completely. Sorry, Sir Andrew. Some of them aren't, but the main cast are all people. There was a group. And Viola and Sebastian are played by the same actor, actress. Oh, you know, I think I do remember hearing Because I remember hearing something about it and being like, "Ah, I should watch that. Yeah. And then um, slightly related, but just another good Shakespeare recommendation there was another group that was offering this as a live stream. It was an all-black cast of Much Ado About Nothing that was really, really, really well done. It was just put on. And it's especially timely for what we are in the midst of right now because... I remember, I remember seeing that. I did not get a chance to see that, but I remember when that was when that was coming up. And I'm really disappointed that I didn't get the chance to watch. It's worth seeing because the way that they interpret the army in that is these uh, people going out to protest. And it's never made clear exactly what's being protested. But, yeah, it's very timely. And literally the show ends with the wedding party getting interrupted 
by sirens and everybody picking up their signs and marching out to to rejoin and it's i i let me look up who did it uh for future reference if you're listening to the shakespeare podcast black lives matter thank you yes white fragility was an amazing i've i've uh i've seen a lot of people sharing that around um very interested to read that book Oh, it was, I'm sorry, it was yeah. um, Central Park's Shakespeare in the Park. D- at the yeah, Denver it was the Theater. Shakespeare in the Park. I knew it was a Shakespeare yeah. in the Park. I just couldn't remember where, yeah. Yeah, in New York. Is it the same company did, that did the all-female Julius Caesar? Possibly. The Delacorte Theater. Um, yeah. Danielle Brooks, who was in Orange is the New Black, plays Beatrice. And it's it's... Again, I don't know if it's still available. It was streaming for a time during quarantine. Yeah, I, but I know that can, I missed it when initially when it initially dropped. If you can track that down, especially right now, absolutely go watch it because it is it is very powerfully done. Yeah, um, yeah, it's very important, um, and representation is incredibly important, and theater is a incredibly important medium for representation. I was wrong. That is a Chicago troupe, and they did all the same years all out on PBS for you to watch. Julius Caesar, Henry VII, and the Tempest. Hmm. Henry VII? Interesting. So, I always love when Beth, you made up a Henry. Henry VII. Henry IV. Sorry. <laughs> Those oh! are not the same number. I was going to say, there is no Henry VII. Henry... You're adding plays. Because you love Henry so much. It was a so one much. and a few. I'm going to go shoot this. Well, don't do that on air. No. Wait till we're done recording. Don't, don't do that at all. Please. Thanks, Cassie. <laughs> don't worry, it's not actually a cry for help. I'm just not reading any more Henry plays. You can't make me. Well, Taming of the Henry well, is next month. So. Taming of the Henry, yeah. <laughs> are we, are we, are, is that the, that's is that next. what we're doing next? That's next. Yeah, right. then, then, then after that. We're not going to split up No, Hamlet. then after that nope, is Henry, no. Prince of Denmark. Look, we're getting the heaviest of the three left out of the way first by doing taming. So, can I out-out damn spot the Henrys? Yes. I don't know what that means, but... You can scrub them from your brain. Live your bliss. Are we we finished with this one, though? I... I think we are. Moose out front should have told you and all that kind of junk. So, I will will say, because of this conversation, I am willing to reconsider Twelfth Night. Well done. To if us, we for cut being the fuck out of the Malvolio shit. Amen. Excise it okay. as much as possible from the play, um, and make it about the uh, about representation and you know making sure. I think that there's a very important message to have there. Um, I would be in it if we were to take some care with it. You know. What Amen. I mean? Absolutely. And so, yeah. Um, this ended up being really good set of episodes uh, yeah. about a play that I don't like. Hmm. Uh, this is. Shakespeare. I wonder if there's another episode that we could maybe re-record and come to a similar conclusion. <gasps> Cassie, 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 Cassie. Do you think he's no? We're not. No, fucking Romeo and Juliet sucks. <laughs> <laughs> 
Alright, well, that's that's time, guys. Check, check, please. Uh, this is Shakespeare, right. episode 69. Nice. I'm Ryan Hatfield. I'm Cassie Greenley. I'm Chase Greenley. Podcast is over. Moose out front, should have told you. Say goodnight, John Boy. Goodnight, John Boy. Goodnight, John Boy. What, Paul? This has been a Ghostlight Media Production.